Welcome to the Walk and Verse Journey. We're going to explore history, current events, through poetry and prose. Sit back and come along for the ride. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is episode number seven. Today is April 3rd, 2020. Today's going to be a little bit different than the others. We're going to have an interview from an individual based in New York City, the hotspot, and he's going to share some insight of what's going on in New York with the hospitals, with the governor, and just some of his thoughts in general. So with that being said, sit back, listen, and I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to the show, and I have a friend of mine here from New York, and we'll call him Mark to keep him anonymous. Anyway, hello Mark, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, Kev. You're welcome. What's it like on the ground over in New York right now? What's the feeling of people? It's really hard to say because you don't really interact with very many people. New York City is a ghost town. I mean, we have, with the exception of um, a little bit of morning traffic and a little bit in the afternoon where you've got your essential people, uh, you know, essential businesses uh, that are opening up and shutting down. Uh, with the exception of that, uh, the streets are just completely devoid of traffic. Whether it's you know foot traffic, there there aren't even any cars. You know, I live in New York City, and there's never I can't remember <laughs> the last time it's been this quiet. It's it's I mean it's not I mean Christmas Day five o'clock in the morning it's loud it's noisier than this. What's it like in the stores? I, it's it's really hard to say. I mean I've I've been trying to adhere to you know the uh, stay at home order. Mm-hmm. So uh, we only go out for you know absolute essentials. When we do, I can tell you that the stores are stocked to probably around 60%. So okay. there's food there. Um, the the mood uh, between people, whether they're interacting on the street or, you know, whether they pass each other on the street or uh, in a store is it's, 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 you have to see it, man. It's like, imagine that you're passing somebody that's, in the street that's that's got this like explosive nosebleed mm-hmm. and like you see it and you're, you're and you try to avoid the guy so he doesn't like get any blood on you that's that's sort of what it's like when you pass people on the street and and even in stores people will you know where in the past in in the past um if two people were going you know up and down the same aisle you'd sort of like maybe brush up against each other now you have people coming to a full stop, letting one person pass. And as they're passing, you know, they'd be turning away. So it's, there's just this anxiety uh, that I, I've never, never, ever seen here in God knows how many years. I haven't seen it anywhere. It's first for everything. Is, is it like 911 when we hit, I know you're in New York at that time too. Is it kind of like the same feeling as 911 or is it different? Well, I, w- I had family in New York. I actually right. wasn't in New York at, okay, during 9-11. But I mean, I, I, I have, you know, friends and family here galore. Um, 9-1-1 was very different. I know a lot of people are looking to New York and they're taking 9-1-1 as a model. And that's just totally wrong. It's completely and utterly wrong. 9-1, the difference between 9-1-1 and what's happening now is like the difference between getting shot and having 10 guys gang up on you, beating on you for 10 hours on end. You get shot, you get the bullet, right? You take it, you decide, well, am I alive or not? And you kind of try to recover from there on. Right. Right. When you're, when you're in a situation where you're, you're, you've got 10 guys brawling with you and the punches just keep on coming and coming and coming, you get more and more tired with time. 
you know, initially you're energetic, you're hitting some of the guys back, but after a while, you know, you're dealing with an opponent here that's invisible and that doesn't, doesn't succumb to fatigue, right? The coronavirus doesn't get tired. It's, we get tired, we get exhausted, our resources become depleted. Uh, people become more, uh, more anxious, more irritable, and there's this cumulative effect and it is palpable. And so in 9-11, you just didn't have that. In 9-11, you had shock and then you had this, this fear. And for, you know, yes, a couple of months, uh, you know, we were concerned, but no one actually felt it in their house. No, mm-hmm. unless you, you had a first responder or you had somebody, on, you, you had lost someone, sadly, you know, in, in the actual terrorist attack. But it was, it was external. It was on the news. Yeah. I mean, people were anxious, like, oh, my God, is it safe to take the bus? Is it safe to take the train? But that never really translated into, into any kind of action. Uh, you saw police posted at the uh, entrances to the bridges and tunnels. And there was more, you know, the, the police and, and, and uh, I think the military, the National Guard, or whoever it was that was active at the time, certainly made a show of force. But practically speaking, nothing changed at your breakfast table. And that's the main difference, I think, between 9-11 and what we're seeing now. And so let's kind of dive into that. So that's some of the things you want to discuss today. And so you talk about some type of predictions and progressions that you're seeing. What's that all about? So, um, you know, we, we all hear about uh, statistical modeling, uh, that we are moving towards an apex and... Um, I think that in many ways, people don't, aren't, aren't being told the full story. Um, you know, again, this is my opinion. I'm not an expert, but I do have um, a large number of, of family and friends that are in healthcare um, and that in, are generally on the ground. I'm in touch with a lot of people on a daily basis. And, um, and so the opinions that I have are based on some of that. I want to be clear when something is my opinion, I'll just, I'll just tell you, Hey, this is how I feel about it. And, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. Otherwise I can, uh, I'd love to, to give you some resources, uh, where, you know, people can read things and I'm talking about articles that are on CNN articles that are coming from the New York times. The claims made within those articles include names. They include uh, uh, institutions. They include you know, research programs and so on. So these are things that are verifiable. So it's not just, you know, fake news, CNN, you know, when the article lists something that, you know, can be independently verified, I think that it's, it's worth looking at. So, um, what I, what I, I guess what I'd start by, by talking about, um, if you just give me a minute, I want to pull up my notes sure. here. Um, so, uh, basically the, the, this idea that we are, uh, we're moving towards an apex, mm-hmm. um, so to be clear, right now in New York City, uh, what we're getting, and I think New York, I know that it's, it, this, is, this is true for New York City, New York State, I, I'd have to look, but this is coming directly off of the official uh, New York City COVID website. I'll give you that URL so that your listeners can see it for themselves. <laughs> because the website is coronavirus.health.newyork.gov. And if you scroll to the bottom of that page, there is uh, a, um, a feature there called the COVID-19 tracker where you can view a county by county breaking down. And if you look at that, you click on view, um, you'll see total number of persons tested and total number of, of positives. So looking at the number of, of people that were tested today, 
21,500, I'm sorry, yesterday, not today. Uh, today we're the third. This was on the second. The data here is always one day behind. Um, so there were 21,555 people tested yesterday, um, of which 10,482 are positive. That's almost, that's, that's, that's close to exactly uh, 50%. That's literally within stone throw 50%. And this is what we've been seeing. If you look at statewide, the number of people that were tested are 260,000, and the number of people that are positive are 102,000. Now, you have to keep in mind that the test that they're using is it's, it's a PCR antigen test. It's, it's a test that detects the actual virus. Question. And this test, yeah. Let me break it here. So we know that there's different classifications of the coronavirus, and there's seven, actually. And when you say that, is it the actual SARS version or is it like a common cold or is it any version? Um, so the PCR test, and without mm-hmm. getting into the specifics, uh, partly because I don't fully understand them myself, okay. but I, I have uh, discussed this with people uh, that are professionals in the industry. And the PCR test cannot give you a false positive. It can give you a false negative, And that's because of the discrepancy in the test's sensitivity. So the, the, the test may actually have a positive sample, not pick up the virons in that sample and give you a false negative. But I guess what I'm trying to get at, though, is it the actual virus from China, the, the COVID-19, or is it any strain of coronavirus? That, that's the question. Uh, I'm pretty sure that it's a highly specific test. Okay. Because what they're actually doing in the test is they're reproducing... Uh, material. And again, like I said, I'm not the ex- I'm not an expert on this and I don't fully understand this to so take it with a grain of salt, but they're reproducing material that actually binds to the virus. Um, and so if, if that, if that material binds to the virus, then it is further replicated. And then as you see those numbers grow, you know, that a connection was made and that material, whatever it is, 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 is very, um, it's tuned to the <laughs> Uh, to the antigen on the virus itself. And antigens are vastly different even between strains of the same virus. So different strains of the same virus. So yeah, it's uh, the, the, the PCR antigen test, as, uh, to the extent that I understand it, is highly specific to the virus that we're dealing with. Okay. And, and also, like, what are you seeing like, in the ICU rooms uh, or in the hospitals? Because you know, in the media, they're saying one thing, right? Uh, but what are you actually seeing on the ground? Okay. So it, it, to answer that question, it's important to understand how um, what the what the admission protocol is mm-hmm. and how someone even comes into the ICU. Okay, so there are there are triage protocols in place now, which my opinion, and this is just my opinion based on what I've observed, uh, they are uh, less clinically oriented oriented and more crisis management oriented. And what I mean by that is a clinically oriented protocol, which be a protocol that prioritizes the patient getting better. And that is really what we're aiming for, and everything else takes a back seat. A crisis management protocol is prioritizing the bigger picture, and the individual patient's medical needs are secondary. And nobody likes to say that, but that is what's happening. And there is, uh, that, this is my opinion, uh, but I have seen evidence um, that would suggest that. For instance, uh, for one thing, there uh, is... A medication, hydroxychloroquine. Right. And we can we can talk about that later. There's certainly a lot to discuss there. Uh, but this medication has shown a lot of promise. Now, hydroxychloroquine, and I don't I don't want to hijack your, your question, but just very quickly to segue sure. into that. Hydroxychloroquine 
is an agent, then this is, this is, again, this is all theorized. Okay, the data about hydroxychloroquine is based on clinical observations. It's not based on understanding the mechanism by which it works. For instance, it's like, you know, if, if for, you know, all the software developers out there, imagine that you're using a function. If you throw two numbers into a function and what you get is the, um, is the sum of those numbers, you assume that the function is performing an addition. If you throw two numbers into a function and you get a product of those, you, you assume that the function is performing multiplication. So we, you don't know what is happening inside of that function because it's kind of like a black box, but you know that you're putting something in and it's spitting something out. And you can sort of derive what's going on. Okay. So the, the idea behind hydroxychloroquine is that it makes the body inhospitable for <laughs> viral replication. And how it does that, whether it does that by acidifying the cell membrane or whether it does that by uh, inhibiting something called um, replicase, which is an enzyme that, that the virus actually needs to produce more viruses, is, is well, it's, it, that's, speculism and that's, that's speculation and it's, it's largely tangential. It doesn't matter what it does as long as it does it. That's really the point. However, what's causing people to die is a condition known as ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome. That is an autoimmune condition. That's the body attacking itself. And while it's largely related to the virus, that specific action that causes death is not directly related to the virus. That is directly related to the body's immune response, also called a cytokine storm, where the body releases this overlord of alarm bells and all this blood and all these, um, all these uh, elements of the immune system begin to rally in the lungs, flooding the lungs, and then the person goes into respiratory arrest, and that's the end of it. So. The idea behind treating with hydroxychloroquine, and this is something that I, I will quote uh, Dr. Didier Raoul, which is a French, uh, he's a French doctor that's done extensive testing with this. Uh, he actually just ran a, a small trial um, in the last month and he published his results, and the results were very promising. What he says is that you have to treat with this drug early enough. This is not a drug that's going to reverse acute respiratory distress syndrome. This is a drug that's going to prevent, hopefully prevent the virus from setting in and thereby prevent uh, you know, things from, from getting worse. In the hospitals, the protocol is you only give this drug to people that are coming in with hypoxemia. They are short of breath. Blood oxygen is not where it needs to be. And they are either you know, put on, on a nasal cannula or a non-rebreather mask. At that point, you introduce hydroxychloroquine. That's the, I mean, it's the equivalent of taking the drugs and flushing them down the toilet. It's like, it's like giving birth control to a pregnant woman. <laughs> hydroxychloroquine, it has a, a preemptive, it is a preemptive measure post-exposure. It's not going to reverse the cytokine storm. It's, it's not going to um, restore a lung function. And, and this is something, unfortunately, that is rampant, at least in, 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 my, in my city, that uh, to the point that the governor himself, Governor Cuomo, uh, made it, uh, he issued an executive order several days ago, and mm -hmm. I, I didn't read all the details. What I got was that he made it illegal for doctors to prescribe hydroxychloroquine Why? to any patient. What was the reason for well, that, according to your, your local sources? My guess is one, probably because... There is a shortage of the drug. Um, everyone, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, but why would you make an executive order when you know it works? I mean, we're hearing around the country, even around the world, where it is working on patients. Right? Patients are coming back from death, pretty much. I mean, they're in bad shape. Well, let's let's put it. Let's you put know it. I'm saying there is, in 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 major hospitals in New York. I have mm-hmm. not heard of a single person on a ventilator, not one. Right. That was admit that was to, that was administered hydroxychloroquine early enough. Now that is anecdotal. That does not mean that hydroxychloroquine is is some magic elixir. I want to be clear about that. No, it, but it, it works, it, is, right? Well, that's that's been the uh, the clinical reports, and when I mean by clinical mm-hmm. reports, I mean people that have been treated. With hydroxychloroquine and physicians that have reported on these treatments. One of these uh, is a Dr. Vladimir Zelenko in, uh, I think he's in Monroe, New York. Um, again, Dr. Zelenko is not a researcher. I don't think that Dr. Zelenko is on, you know, is of the same caliber as as Anthony Fauci. And mind you, I have no love in my heart for Anthony Fauci, but I don't think that he's of that caliber. Uh, Dr. Zelenko is a family practitioner. I don't, I have not heard anything uh, about his credentials or anything about his academic uh, past that that would suggest that he has any uh, experience doing research. That said, he has prescribed this to scores of people, and he has observed uh, uh, very promising results. Right. If you if you believe what he's saying, um, that those results have also been reflected in a study that was conducted in China in the last two weeks. Those same results were again reflected in a study that was performed by Dr. Uh, Didier Raoul in France, in Marseille. So I don't think any of these uh, constitute a legitimate clinical trial, like a double-blind study and, 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 and like. But we're at war. Yeah, I, I'd love to have the decorum of a, a clinical trial, but right now I think we really need to focus on, on using what works, or at least trying. I'm not suggesting that we should administer hydroxychloroquine, you know, willy-nilly to everybody. But I think we should set up a clinical trial. The governor of the New York of the state of New York suggested that this would be done. And as far as not, as far as I know, I mean, that suggestion kind of just fizzled out. Nothing happened. See, and that's just bugging me right now with a lot of these different. And I don't want to get into politics here, but a lot of these different governors from that have the same type of political um, alliances are kind of playing the same type of game where, you know. Uh, Fossey, like him or not, is saying this should be used and administered through a doctor. You're hearing the president talk about it. You're hearing other doctors talk about it. But yet these certain governors are saying no, which I don't understand at all. It's like, what do they expect to gain out of this? What's your thoughts on that? I think it's just, you know, the the usual never Trumpers. Because I Donald see. Trump came out and he said that this is a good idea. So, you know, if, God, if Donald Trump came out tomorrow and said that the grass is green, half the governors in this country would say that the grass was never green, never happened, no one's ever seen green grass, and so on. So I don't, I don't really pay much attention to that. But I, I will tell you this. When it, came, when it comes to hydroxychloroquine, and, and to be clear, hydroxychloroquine, uh, an analog of, chlor- of of chloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine mm-hmm. is, chlor- is 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 hydroxychloroquine phosphate. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Hydroxychloroquine is hydroxychloroquine sulfate, and chloroquine is chloroquine phosphate. These are two separate drugs. One was used in South Korea. That's hydroxychloroquine, and chloroquine. <laughs> its analog was used in China. They're very similar drugs. Hydroxychloroquine is a little bit stronger, so you regulate the dosage. Uh, but it's basically the same thing. The the drugs have been around since I believe 1949. Well, probably well before that in some other form, but they've been used. They've been FDA approved as a malaria medication since 1949. Right. So that's that's you know that's pushing uh, going over 70 years now. 
Uh, we know what they're contraindicated for. We're very familiar with the side effects of these drugs. I am not a doctor. I'm not telling anybody to take them, and I would not advise that anybody take any medication without uh, a prior medical clearance by someone who's licensed to practice. I am not licensed to practice. I'm not giving anybody medical advice. Now, that said, what we have observed with this medication is that it has shown some promise. And I think, you know, I think that if something in, in, in a pandemic, if you're onto something, if you see something that shows some promise, the least you can do is put together a clinical trial. We can put together a COVID-19 clinical trial in, in the scope, in the time it takes to, to run this podcast. Well, see, and that's just kind of bothered me is like, I don't believe governors should be making calls that are medical decisions. They're not doctors. They have no background. You know, and so it, to me, it just seems highly right. political and it's really bothered me because they, they say they care about the people. Do they really? It sure doesn't seem that way to me. At least not for I mean, I, I don't, that, I absolutely, I don't, you know? I don't believe, I don't believe so. Not even, not even in the slightest. Uh, <laughs> if you look at <laughs> the drugs that are being approved for clinical trials, remdesivir is one drug by Gilead. Um, remdesivir is an antiviral mm-hmm. and it, it works by it. Well, it, you know, it, it, the way that they are saying it works is by, um, inhibiting viral replication by inserting something called a, an analog into the RNA chain. So they're, inserting basically it's like filling it's like filling up a gun with with blanks that's kind of what their what their remdesivir does it 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 gets into that um viral reproduction with a blank so there's part of that viral rna sequence that is actually fake and and so the virus is i i presume becomes dysfunctional or somehow neutralized as a result i i all I can tell you is hydroxychloroquine has been around for seven years. Remdesivir hasn't been around for seven years. Right. I don't even know if it's been around for seven months. Okay. And they have, uh, you know, Fauci is backing that clinical trial. Uh, private hospitals are backing that clinical trial. There are clinical trials for other drugs. I think I uh, emailed you a couple of them. Right. right. Um, that are being backed again by Fauci. But when it comes to this combination, of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, azithromycin being a very common antibiotic, both of these drugs are available vastly generically. The sum total cost, if you have no insurance at all and you're paying cash at the drugstore for the whole treatment with both drugs is under $20. So no single pharmaceutical company stands to profit anything at all from promoting hydroxychloroquine. But yet at the same time, the New York Times had an article today was about a drug that was able to bring someone out of acute respiratory distress syndrome. In other words, once the person is on the respirator, then th- this drug was able to bring them out. To be clear, the New York Times article spoke about one incident and one patient. Right, right. Okay? And they touted this thing like it was the next thing, next best thing since Honey Nut Cheerios. Okay? Whereas when we talked about hydroxychloroquine, they poked all sorts of holes in the data. It's not scientific enough. Uh, there's no, um, there's no, uh, the, the controls weren't good. Uh, we don't feel that it was double blind. Uh, the participants were somehow tainted, and they had every reason in the world to disqualify. To be clear, I'm not. I don't have a hydroxychloroquine factory. I don't sell this stuff. I have no connection to anything pharmaceutical. But if there is a promise for a drug to save countless people, and when I say countless. I want to tell you what I've seen in New York here. Mm-hmm. I believe we have not seen the tip of the iceberg yet. We are today, April 3rd. I do not believe that this pandemic has even gotten out of the gate yet. Okay. 
not even out of the gate, because right now our systems are still coping with it. The police, mind you, one out of six police is out uh, is out sick. Wait until that becomes two or three. But do you what think that? Yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize, but do you think that some of the problems are no, with, like you said, with the ICU and with how they're actually dealing with the admission protocols and so forth? Is that also part of the problem, or what have you seen with that? You mentioned earlier about ICUs and and so forth. Not to discourage, listen, not to discourage anybody from seeking medical attention. I think that, like I said, mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor and I have no experience in the medical field whatsoever. I'm just a guy with his own opinion, and that's it. But I would tell you my my gut feeling is that if you took 100 people that were sick and left them in their house, and you took another 100 people that were sick and you put them in hospitals in New York, your survival rate would be comparable. Interesting. Yeah. The hospitals today are not admitting people that are not hypoxemic. If someone comes in and they have a fever and they're coughing, they test their oxygen saturation. If they are breathing on their own and they're over 90% saturating, in other words, their, their blood oxygen is above 90%. They send them home in the hopes that they self-resolve. In the past, okay, before COVID, if someone came in with a pulse ox of 90 or 91, he'd be in a hospital room on a rebreather faster than you can say oatmeal. And they do all kinds of tests. And he'd probably be hospitalized until the doctors felt confident that they addressed the issue. That's not the clinical protocol that I'm observing. What I'm observing is if you go to the hospital, and if you are not, uh, you know, if you are not uh, decompensate, if you're, if you're uh, not in any kind of respiratory distress, if you're not hypoxemic, if you're not short of breath, they will send you home. That's it. Once someone comes in and they're already hypoxemic and short of breath, at that point, there is damage in their lungs. And based on studies done by Dr. Didier with hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine is most effective if taken early right. enough. Right. Right. Once your the lungs have all sorts of uh, what are called ground glass opacities, these are uh, parts of the lungs that are you know effectively dysfunctional. Um, again, not a doctor, I can't really break down what that dysfunction is. Well, I you know, you. you could Google that, but I mean, this is what I've I've heard I've heard this term over and over and over: ground glass opacities in both lungs. At that point, the ability of the lungs to oxygenate the blood and to promote normal gas exchange is diminished. And there's a term that they use in the hospitals that's called crashing. And you can have a patient that comes in and they are slightly hypoxemic, okay? And they're slightly short of breath, or they may be hypoxemic and not even be short of breath. But for whatever reason, let's say they're at 88% oxygen saturation and they're admitted. They go from that to respirator, to dead in hours. Once they're over that hump, it's downhill for a large number of those patients. And again, going, going back and looking at some of the statistics, if you look at, you know, uh, Andrew Cuomo mm-hmm. has talked about so many people in the ICUs, two or 3,000 people in the ICU. Any person could take, you don't have to believe me. Look at, look at Andrew Cuomo's numbers. Look at the number of people admitted in ICUs and then Look at, the, look at the next day's number for cases resolved versus deaths, and you will see that 90% of the ICU is effectively a waiting room for the, for the morgue, 90%. And 90%, I want to tell you, I think I'm being optimistic. Interesting. So really, it's because of a failure in the way they're admitting patients into the hospital. They're not following the uh, typical protocol. That's interesting. And nobody's even talking about that. Right. Well, I, I can understand. I mean, look, 
they're right. in war mode. Uh, you know, they, they have to make some compromises and, and I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. And, and nothing that I'm saying here is in, in any way intended to speak uh, badly of the heroic people that we have that go to hospitals, that hold people's hands, that are there, the nurses, the nurses, the nurse assistants, the PAs, the doctors and the management. I have nothing but respect for these people. These people are superheroes, but these people effectively are cogs in a greater machine. Protocol is dictated from up top. Yeah, politics, man. Sit, mm-hmm. Well, that's it. <laughs> they yep. sit down, they say, look, and that's that's why, you know, I go back to the original thing I said. You had 100 people, you have 200 people that are sick. 100 of them stay home, the other 100 go to the hospital. I believe that the difference in survival would be trivial. That does not mean that I'm encouraging somebody not to go to the hospital because I'm not doing that. If you if you feel sick and you, you're short of breath and you feel that you need medical attention, you, you owe it to yourself and your family. I mean, the, the smart and the ethical thing to do is to go out and try to get medical care. What I'm talking about is what the effectiveness of that medical care is, in my opinion, not being a doctor. You know what's weird about that? So there was a, a, a friend of mine up here where I'm at. I'm up in Seattle and same kind of thing. Um, this is when, the, when it kind of first came down and he, he thought he had a flu. And it got to the point where he could barely breathe. He called the hospital up and they told him, well, just stay at home. <laughs> so what you're saying is resonates true here in Washington as well. And this was before the crisis even kicked into place, which is kind of odd. They should have took him in, you know, normally. And just imagine, I mean, but again, not to take away from the scope and right. the severity of the crisis in other places. And, and certainly, certainly my heart goes out to people that are, you know, are, are coping with this and, and are coping with, you know, potentially having loved ones in the hospital or being worried about themselves. My, my heart really goes out to them. I'm not trying to diminish from, from, from their suffering. I understand and, and, and I recognize it. But being realistic here, what other states are experiencing right now is chicken scratch compared to what's going on in New York City. Yeah, Here, we are not buckling. What you see right now today, this is the, bright, this is the, the silver lining here. This right here, this is the positive side. In a month, today is going to look like a walk through Rainbow Park. Okay, what's going to, once the system starts to buckle, and you've got eight and a half million people living in, in one place. What, what happens to the supply line? What happens to law and order? What happens once you don't even have enough police and, and people can't find what they, what, what they need in stores? What happens when the looting starts? What happens when the social distancing breaks down? See, and that's just kind of bothering me because I've been hearing reports of how uh, Andrew Como is releasing is allowing prisoners to be released from prison, and we're not talking nonviolent offenders either. We're talking some pretty hardened guys. And there's another guy talked about that today, and so I don't understand what he's doing. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's almost like they're trying to create the perfect storm to do exactly what you just said: looting, rioting, and so forth. I, I don't get it. I really don't Look, get it. When you have a situation when people are overwhelmed. <laughs> When people are scared and, you know, they get riled up, you know, not to, not to, not to compare people to, you know, to, to a herd of cattle, but, the, but I mean, there, there is some, you know, there is some, uh, a comparison to be made. I mean, if you've got cattle and, and, and something spooks them, they all start running and you right. don't want to be, you don't, you don't, you don't want to have them run towards you, you know? So it's kind of the same thing right now. The stores are at about 60%. People are coping with what there is. And I don't want to make it seem like the sky's falling in New York because right now, you know, it's tough. I don't feel like the sky's falling at this very moment, but I can tell you that the sentiment is people are not, it's not that people have just made peace with this as the new normal. People are sitting at home and holding their breath and they're saying, well, tomorrow will be better. Well, tomorrow will be better. Well, tomorrow will be better. You know, well, next week it'll be better. 
do you feel like losing hope or, or you think they have a pretty well, good not yet. I don't, shoulders, you I, know? I don't think we're there yet. Okay. I think it's too early. I think, I think we, we've gone from uh, a paycheck, uh, paycheck survival or paycheck by paycheck, paycheck to paycheck right. survival to credit and debt. And you need, you need to give it some time for that to run out. Um, I can tell you right now that at the end of April, you're going to see defaults on credit cards because people just don't have the money to pay it. I don't know what will happen. The government might step in and say, um, you know, uh, we'll, I, I can't imagine this happening. I can't imagine the, the, the government guaranteeing credit card debt. That would be just absolutely just outright insane. But <clears throat> once that tap starts to tighten up or starts to close up, people are going to get desperate. And if you can't provide for people, people can't provide for their families. And if they don't have the money or if the resources are not available because the supply lines are compromised or whatnot. And if the right now, one sixth of our police force is out sick. I mean, what happens when that becomes a quarter or if that becomes a third, God forbid. Yeah. What's, you know, you know, at that, that's what I'm worried about. And I think that, like I said, I don't think this, this pandemic is even out of the gate yet. It seems like, you know, well, there are a hundred thousand cases in New York or 200 or in New York city, the, the governor and the mayor, and I don't know if they're right, but the numbers that they put out there are 50% infection. And if you do the math on that, and even in the most, in the rosiest situation where you have a hundred percent, in fact, that we have 50% infected over six months, the death rate roughly stands at about 2%. So. If 50% are infected, that's 4,300,000. Yeah, do the math, <laughs> 2% of that. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's anything that, uh, I, I just, I don't know how, how we'd cope with it. At the same time, though, I think we got to kind of just, just keep it calm and write it out because I'm not too sure if the actual death rate is that high. I know right now you guys are getting hammered pretty hard, but I don't know if that's because people, you know, had the infection for quite some time. People had underlying issues. We just don't know. And so I, I think we need to kind of just take a little bit of a step back and, Look at the overall totals. You right. Know? Well, if, if you if you trust the numbers coming out of Italy, if you trust the numbers coming out of Spain, you'll see that the numbers that we have here, uh, I would say, are are better than theirs. I mean, certainly better than Italy. I mean, Italy is it's just the the numbers are astronomical. I mean, well, ten percent. But you have to remember something to Italy, right? So they're now coming out and saying that they had to recalculate because they were labeling anybody that died with coronavirus as coronavirus, even though it wasn't the case. And that's now starting to come out now, which is which has done a disservice to the world. And so we're seeing that while they had a high death rate, and my heart goes out to those families, it's not really attributed all to the, the COVID-19. So that's another but problem, right? But, but ask yourself this. Mm-hmm. What difference does it make practically if if COVID nineteen is the cause of death, or if COVID nineteen exacerbates a pre existing condition? Which fear mongering, fear mongering, right? Because when you push numbers like this and they're not accurate, you're creating such intense panic where people are going to flip out. Whereas if you if you handle it properly and professionally, like like the media should be doing, we can keep it calm. And not not to go back to Obama, right? But in 2009, we had a, we had the swine flu outbreak, and it was unknown at the time. It was right in the Mexican border, you know. And within was it four four months or so, we had like over uh, over a thousand people. Yeah, over a thousand people were dead. In the course of it, we lost 12,000 Americans, and we had over 60.8 million people infected. But the difference was the media played it cool. They said it's not time to panic; it's a time to take precaution and so forth. If we handle this the same way. 
we would not be having the panic, you know, run, run out of toilet paper, for goodness sakes, and people acting crazy. But right now, I'm seeing a lot of these governors passing draconian rules, locking people down, taking away our freedoms. For, it just makes no sense. Right? And well, back I, then, I, we I, had a... You, go ahead. Did you hear about Cuomo, what he said today? <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, he's going to reallocate resources uh, from hospitals by executive order. That also includes private hospitals. Interesting. So <laughs> he can decide, you know, that hospitals... Uh, that aren't dealing with uh, an influx of patients or an influx of emergencies, well, he can take their their ventilators away and, you know, put them in other hospitals. Uh, I think that that, in my opinion, I mean, I think that that really devalues uh, some of the staff in those private hospitals and their expertise and their, you know, I think that they have opinions, they understand right. who, you know, where they're situated and, and what, and I'm sure that they've all made projections on the kind of traffic that they can anticipate. And I don't think it's fair to simply just say, well, I'm panicking. I don't have any other options. So I'm now taking charge. That's one thing that he did, you know, in addition to, like I said, this, uh, this COVID trial that, um, I don't know. It evaporated. He was supposed to. He. He. he I know that they got a uh, a ton of um, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine tablets. <laughs> I mean, something uh, in in the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of doses. And the, the clinical trial was supposed to start not not uh, this last Tuesday, but Tuesday before that. <laughs> that never happened. And then it was supposed to start on Friday, and that never happened. The hospital that he built in the Javits was supposed to be a non-COVID hospital with a thousand beds. Now it's, he's turned it into a COVID hospital with 2,500 beds. Um, what, what I'm trying to say is I, I think that Andrew Cuomo is great at playing governor. I don't know how good he is at actually governing. So it's good that he you know, is, is giving people confidence. But the problem here is if he's not actually able to deliver, then sooner or later, people are going to start tuning him out and relying uh, on their own devices. And I'm worried about what happens at that point if we reach it. No, I agree. And I'm also worried about the um, the, the economic effects after this uh, calms down a little bit, right? Oh, I mean, that's... <laughs> that's, another, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. There's, there's, there's no question that some of the decisions that are being made today at the big pharma about you know, blocking uh, studies by hydroxychloroquine. And and I use the word blocking. (laughs) They may use the word discouraging or anecdotal data. It doesn't matter. It doesn't cost you anything to run a trial right now. You have no shortage of volunteers. You could have a trial. You can have results by the end of April. You'd be able to give other states something to work with, a drug that's 70 years old. We know the contraindications and we know the side effects. They are not promoting that. They're promoting their own drugs because they're looking at on capitalizing what I'd like to call the COVID industry. And the COVID industry, that's an emerging industry. You're going to have even people that come out of this, Kevin, even people that come out of this, the, the, the 80% of those 80%, you don't even know how many are going to need lung support, all sorts of respiratory therapy galore, because this thing has an impact even if people survive. It's not the flu, you get over it and you're the same guy. You know, it, it certainly may be, may, it may be that for some people, it is that for some people, but there's going to be a large number of people that are effectively crippled by this for the rest of their lives. And, and I don't think that anyone's even mentioned that. No, because that'd be uh, more fear tactics to really get the population even going more crazy. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for the, for the chat. I, I enjoyed it. And um, I hope everything goes well with you and your family and you guys stay safe down there in New York. For thank sure. you. And you do, you do the same and, 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 you know, let's just hope and pray. 
yep. that we can, you know, that we just make it through it. And, and I, I, I listen, I'm not trying to be right. Uh, I've shared some of my thoughts with you and, and some right. of the rationale behind it. I really do hope I'm wrong. I want, let the whole country get a good laugh at my expense. I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of nervous, you know, seeing the developments that, that I've uh, witnessed. In, in my city over the last. So thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet, man. We'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll I'm definitely have you on again here shortly to kind of just do a, a follow-up, see how things are going. You bet, Kev, anytime. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the interview with our special guest on the ground in New York City. And uh, get ready for the next episode coming out on 5G. And it's pretty interesting. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider a membership at $5 a month. You'll gain access to all past, present and future e-reports and books, as well as member-only content. The link is in the description of the episode. If you have any questions or comments, please send me an email at walkinverse at protonmail.com. W-A-L-K-I-N-V-E-R-S-E at P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L.com. And until next time, keep the faith, stay safe, and peace.